I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. And I'm delighted to be here. Whether you're an investor or owner-occupier, presumably there are a number of things you need to take into account. I mean, to, to ensure you're making the right choice when purchasing a commercial property. Yeah, you know, Ken, that's a, that's a very good question. But I thought what I might do is perhaps provide a quick update on the app and the marketing program before I actually get to that question, if that's okay. On the high return filter app, the app itself is now completed. And all that remains is to have it accepted by Apple on their iStore. And unfortunately, there's a certain protocol that needs to be followed to achieve that. So it may be another week, perhaps 10 days, before I can give everyone access to the app. Now, the mentoring program, all the people that have requested that, the good news is it's it's certainly taking shape. I would have thought that it would be fairly easy to bundle together the various training courses, but apparently there are certain access issues because all the members of the mentor program are effectively being given complementary access to all the other training websites. And my IT whiz tells me that that creates a whole lot of unexpected issues behind the scenes. Anyway, we're nearly there and it shouldn't be far off from the official launch. But it's also important to remember that the first intake will be limited because I want to ensure that everyone's needs are fully met by not spreading myself too thin initially. So back to your question about making the best choices when purchasing a commercial property. If you're going to occupy the property yourself, perhaps you should actually make it a two-step process by initially renting a property within the location or neighbourhood that you prefer. You see, finding somewhere to lease is relatively easy because not everyone wants to sell their commercial property. Most people who own commercial property do so for an investment, and that means that you're able to lease or occupy their space for as long as you keep paying the rent. Plus, you're then able to discover whether the neighbourhood is the one that is right for your business. Because the last thing you want to do is outlay you know, a reasonably amount of, large amount of money only to find that you've located the business in the wrong spot. Anyway, here are a few other pointers in, in choosing a, a good commercial property. You also need to remember that commercial real estate loans are structured differently for home loans. Now, financiers even consider an apartment block to be the same as buying a commercial property and therefore not eligible for a residential loan. So remember, when you're looking for commercial property, you need to understand the rules for commercial loans before you start buying. And that's where talking with a a good finance broker is probably the best step in that direction. The next thing is, as we've discussed before, do your homework. When you're attempting to get finance for a commercial purchase, make sure you have all the necessary documents up to date and accurate. If you don't have a solid plan with all your ducks in a row, lenders are unlikely to take a risk on you because you need to have done all your homework and be able to answer all of their questions without hesitation. Obviously, you need to have enough equity. Be sure to have money 
in hand when you're considering a commercial property, you're going to need a deposit and the money to pay for the closing costs. And that is something that's important. A lot of people overlook the things like stamp duty, uh, legal fees, any other acquisition costs that might be involved. And you also need money to cover the things like the valuation. Now, the bank is is more willing to lend money to someone who has a reasonable starting equity. So let's now talk about what I refer to as your buying radius. When you're looking for a, a perfect piece of commercial real estate, you should limit your search to about 30 minutes from your place of residence. And this is perhaps moving more into the investment area. Either your place of residence or within 30 minutes of your chosen managing agent. In other words, if you're buying interstate or in another part of the city that that you live in, make sure that your managing agent is located well within the 30-minute radius of where the property is because this allows you or your managing agent to keep tabs on the property and the local events that may be affecting the value of real estate itself. Now, sometimes you you can... get a discount for bulk. Now, what I'm talking about here is when you're purchasing commercial real estate, try to look for opportunities that allow you to buy bigger. And the reason for this is it doesn't take a lot more to manage a larger number of strata units than it does for a single unit. And the actual cost per unit will be less if you're buying a building containing a number of strata units. So that if rather than buying individually a whole lot of separate strata offices or small warehouse units, if you can buy two or three in a row or even more, and they may already be on separate titles, but you'll find that you'll get a discount for bulk and the management cost, because they're all in the same area, will be a lot less. Ideally, you want to buy, if you're going to buy something bigger, is to buy it all on one title and then separate the titles, which really helps to end that that super growth to what you've bought. So I guess the bottom line is that when you're owner-occupying, it's good to to lease first to make sure that's um, where you want to be. And it also means by doing it that way, you don't have to deal with any of the loan issues or investing in the wrong spot. Because at the end of the lease, if it's, say, a three-year lease initially, if it is the area that you want to be in, you can spend that three years. You'll know that after 12 months, but you can spend the remaining two years finding the ideal property. If it's not the location, then you can spend that those two years looking in the areas that you feel would best suit your business. So hopefully those are, are some pointers on making the right choice. Just following on from that, last week you covered the option of investing via a syndicate. Are there any additional considerations that you should take into account when you're choosing a property for syndication? Yeah, we covered that last week, and it's interesting the feedback we've we've got from that. So what I've put together, which might help, is perhaps six more tips on how to make a private syndicate successful. And, And these involve, just run through them quickly, the price range of the property, the best lease terms, we talk about due diligence, legal and accounting issues, the timing of equity into the syndicate and perhaps the initial yield. So let's start with the price range. Generally, 
your chosen properties will be in a three to five million dollar price range. Uh, you remember last week we talked about an initial $2 million equity. Well, if you're borrowing 60% and there's a $2 million equity, and after allowing for your acquisition costs, it means that you've got a max of about $4.5 million as a purchase, assuming you get the full $2 million raised. Um, other properties can be considered for a syndicate, uh, but as I said, it's best to keep it as a passive investment rather than anything speculative. As far as the lease terms are concerned, you should always strive for continuity of income and therefore you should be looking for a, a property that has at least five years remaining on the lease, that the rentals are realistic with the opportunity for market reviews and with smaller properties that the majority of the space is occupied by a single tenant. As far as the due diligence is concerned, you need to have qualified building consultants to conduct the report on all the structural and technical aspects of the property because this gives the uh, comfort to your members that what they're putting their equity into before the the contract becomes unconditional is a sound and, and worthwhile property. It also helps minimise the risk of incurring unexpected maintenance or replacement costs down the track. As far as the legal and accounting issues, they are a little bit more complex, if you like, than for individual purchases. So you should always have this checked by lawyers and accountants before the syndicate parts with the um, initial deposit as far as the purchase of the property is concerned. So when it comes to the timing of equity into the syndicate, just prior to a purchase, what you do is you get 30% of your intended equity paid into the syndicate, into the unit trust, with the remaining 70% being contributed within 28 days of a purchase contract being executed. Now, the reason for this is that if you've got 30% in there as equity, that provides you with enough to pay an initial 10% deposit on a property. And the problem with most syndicates is that the uh, members will go out and, and find a property, try and put their foot on it, take an op option over it, which requires an option fee, and then run around to organise the equity. Now, you can imagine from a vendor's point of view, you're trying to do the best, get the best price as the purchaser, and, and yet you say to the vendor, well, now we negotiate that, we need three or four months to organise our equity. Whereas if you have the 10% deposit already in the bank, as far as the syndicate's concerned, you're in a position to pay the 10%. Generally, it's a 60-day settlement. So within the next 28 days, the balance of the equity is provided so that you um, can meet the settlement date. As far as the initial yield's concerned, you should be looking in the 7 to 9%, depending on the type of location of and the property, the condition of the building, and most importantly, the lease structure and the status of the tenant. But 7 to 9% per annum as a yield should ensure that you have positive cash flow, given that you're only borrowing 60, 65% of the, the value of the, the property. So in summary, when you're purchasing a property as part of a syndicate, it's got a number of benefits because as a beginner in commercial property, it means that you're able to start investing a lot earlier than you might have otherwise thought. And at the same time, you're able to effectively multiply your equity 
and simultaneously spread your risk. Now, if you like, Ken, I actually have a, a pretty detailed ebook on all of this and how it hangs together, which might sort of tie together both last week and this week's podcast. And I'll uh, dig that out and we'll make it as a link underneath this uh, podcast. Just before finishing the last few podcasts, you passed on to our listeners some really handy tips and it, it seems they've been very well received. So let me pose the question to you now. What tips have you got for us this week? Yeah, I was surprised actually at the response we got from those tips that we've been giving each week. And um, I think before I get into the tips, as I said before, it's important that you do your homework and understand how commercial property differs from residential property. And hopefully the podcasts are starting to flesh that out a bit. Now, while real estate markets go up and down, as a general rule, you'll discover that you can safely purchase well-located, well-let commercial property at almost any time. In fact, with most capital cities around Australia currently emerging from the bottom of a cycle, now is arguably a perfect time to buy. But even so, the most successful commercial real estate investors are those who know how to secure a good deal, but also know when to walk away. So I guess tip number one today would be to have an exit plan. Always have your exit strategy mapped out and be in a position to calculate your minimum acceptable levels for your projected cash flow as far as ultimate growth. So no matter how appealing a property may seem, don't hesitate to drop it if it's not going to perform to your expectations. The second one would be flexibility on timing. Just keep in mind that when you're buying something to make money out of it and you're not simply buying it to own it, it's also possible to make significant gains in a few years, but that's not the main goal of commercial property. It's generally at least a four-year hold, not something that you can um, flip quickly over time. That's more speculative as opposed to an investment strategy. So that's what you need to formulate is your investment strategy. And you do need to do that well in advance. So you need it needs to allow you to establish exactly what you want so that you'll have more time to scope out what is available to you as far as the properties are concerned. So a solid plan of action will provide you with many benefits down the track. And we talked about this with the goal setting in an earlier episode. So it might be worth, if you haven't seriously sat down and set long-term goals, is to go back and have a look at that. The fourth tip relates to a correct evaluation up front. When you're just starting out, many investors will focus on the potential return based upon the actual price they pay for the property. But instead, you should be focusing on the investment in the property and what it's offering you the highest return on the equity you've invested on an after-tax basis. And what I have available for many of the clients, and this will be part of the mentoring program as well, is access to the software you need to, and there's about 18 items you need to include in a good projected cash flow, but you can quickly coordinate, input, analyse, and make the calculation for easy comparison from one property to another. Now, tip number five today is setting up your finance in advance. 
it's securing your line of finance. This is your might relate to the initial equity. It might relate to using another property to get a, a line of finance, a line of credit, so that you know that you have your equity lined up before you actually go into start looking for and, and negotiating on a, on a particular property. You'll find it easier, it narrows your search when you know exactly how much capital you have to play with. But more importantly, it'll also give you the upper hand in negotiations in that you're able to commit immediately. And this was one of the points I made with the syndication. If you know you've got the cash already organised, you don't have to suddenly run around and get properties valued to release equity. It just puts you in a so much stronger position. So the actual finance on the property itself is something that's more procedural. It's making sure your initial equity is ready and available. And the sixth tip today is understanding and knowing the neighbourhood in which you're looking to purchase. And this is where you need to evaluate it as well as how the area will develop in the years to come. Not looking back in history, but and that's good, um, but it may be that there has been a, a growth spurt, huge development and influx of people, but now it's going to plateau. So it's probably better to get a, a, an area that is has been down and is starting to come up and you can ride the wave on the way up. So location is almost always the most important key in finding the right commercial property. But it's not necessarily everything and it's not necessarily being the most prominent location. As someone once said, it, you don't want to necessarily have the best property in the street because then every other one will pull yours down. Sometimes it's better to, to get something in the middle, not necessarily at the bottom level, but in the middle, both in size and quality, so that the lesser properties will be upgraded and drag yours up. The more expensive properties set the benchmark as to price and therefore you can benefit from that. So apart from being aware of that, you've also got to know the zoning ordinances and any restrictions which could potentially impact on the planning usage of the property as far as putting curbs on it, but also providing you with the opportunity to change to a higher and better use if there's a zoning change or even within the same zoning it may be that it allows for a, a tenant that will pay you a higher rental or a type of tenant that will pay you a higher rental even with the same property but making some minor value add changes as far as the property is concerned physically. So as you can see most of these items would appear to be common sense but it hopefully provides you with a checklist to develop your own thoughts and tips over time. Okay then. And, and and thanks once again for all the material that you've been able to share. Well, it was my pleasure, Ken, and, and I look forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>